So instead of doing one long sermon today, I'm going to break it up into three smaller homilies, each along a theme. And I want to start by telling you a, a story about a strange thing that happened during the white supremacy teach-in at Mid-America Regional Assembly last week. As facilitators asked people to reflect on their experience of race, people of color and indigenous people in the room talked about discrimination, prejudice, and racism they had experienced along their own skin color, both within our congregations and within the wider world. They talked about their race. But when it came time for white people to talk about their experiences, nearly universally, reflection seemed to be centered around people of color and indigenous people. You know, the ones who have a race problem. It took people in the color pointing this out in the room before many of the white people got it. Even in talking about race, they were making the conversation about others rather than about themselves. They weren't talking about what it meant to be white. They did not see themselves as participants in this game called race. To be sure, whiteness is just as much constructed as every other race as we saw in the reading. But games can have real power when those who have been set up as dominant within the system are granted power to determine who's a part of the in-group and who gets privileges as a result. The definition of white is arbitrary and has often been decided by those in power. In other words, white people working within the courts, Congress, and the state legislatures. In fact, Irish and German immigrants were once refused the status of white as well. There's an entire book called How the Irish Became White. While debate raged as to whether Asian and Pacific Islander people could receive the benefits of the dominant race. What whiteness in America has always signified is normalcy. If you doubt this, UU theologian Tanduka suggests engaging in a race game for a week. Every time you mention someone in casual speech who is white, you refer to them as such. For example, if I were to mention a friend to you who is white, I would have to re refer to them as my white friend. Tanduka reports that in all the times she has challenged white people to engage in this experiment, only one person has actually followed through. And that man reported a deep sense of pain and shame, as if he were breaking some unwritten rule, not to mention whiteness and polite speech. She theorizes that most of us in liberal society have a deep sense of shame from some event in childhood during which we learned we were white and others are not. That we suppress knowledge of our own participation in the racial system out of a deep shame of being labeled a racist or realizing just how complicit we are in the system. Yet shame is not going to help anyone. 
and the fragility many of us feel when we realize we're complicit in racist systems is counterproductive. In fact, accepting whiteness without shame may be one of the first steps towards challenging the racial landscape. Consider that there are things that we have not benefited from in our whiteness. For example, for most of us, our whiteness, whether we realize it or not, means our ethnic heritage has virtually been erased and replaced with a dominant narrative. It also means the shame of knowing how our ancestors behaved and the worry will be perceived as racist. These are some of the effects of whiteness. Others will see throughout today's service. <clears throat> As we've already seen, to be white in America means to be the normal. One need look no further than this week's stabbing at the University of Texas at Austin. See, a white person who commits a crime in America is more likely to be portrayed in a sympathetic light, to be said that they had a mental health condition that was just not detected. But when some found out that the perpetrator of the violence in Austin was a person of color, insults were immediately thrown out about him being a thug or a possible Muslim, as if those things are things that good white people are not supposed to want to be. White people often get the benefit of individual exception, whereas people of color's fault lies with defects in their race, at least to listen to how people are described in news stories. I still remember the first time I remembered I, would, I figured out I was white. It was when I was eight and a classmate told me the reason there were no African Americans in our gifted and talented class is that they just aren't as smart as white people. Racism is learned early, and it's repeated often. White folks in America have always been the ones that have received privileges. The right to vote, own property, participate in the political system, and generally have a free life and a productive life among them. Today, the lingering effects of this system persist because if you know anything about systems theory, you know that systems don't change easily, even when they're toxic. In fact, part of systems theory is that systems resist change and will find every available means to self-correct for attempted change. Slavery, was replaced with segregation, which has been replaced with mass incarceration. One in five people incarcerated in America find themselves in prison on nonviolent drug arrests, most of them black and Latino men. Sociologists have long had a term for such a system. They call it a system of white supremacy. And although in the vernacular white supremacy is often associated with neo-Nazis and the Ku Klux Klan, 
Prominent thinkers, including many thir within third wave feminism, have used the term as a way to think about how white people have systematically been placed at the top of a hierarchy, just as the word patriarchy examines how men have systematically been placed above women and non-binary people. If you think about it, it really does make sense, as if supremacy is the state of being superior to all others, then white supremacy indicates a system in which white people are placed above all others. In 1989, legal scholar Francis Lee Ansley explained the definition of white supremacy by saying, by white supremacy I do not mean to allude only to the self-conscious racism of white supremacist hate groups. I refer instead to a political, economic, and cultural system in which whites overwhelmingly control power and material resources, conscious and unconscious ideas of white superiority and entitlement are widespread, and relations of white dominance and non-white subordination are daily reenacted across a broad array of institutions and social settings. America is built on white supremacy. Consider the usual creation myth of our country, that Columbus discovered America and that we eventually won our independence from England. It conveniently leaves out the fact that the United States would not have existed had it not been for African-American slave labor. It also leaves out the genocide of Native Americans and the fact that much of our current land was obtained through conquest against Mexico as well as colonial takeover in the Pacific and the Caribbean. The lingering effects of white supremacy continue to this day in the forms of everyday oppression. And I've included a handout in your order of service that shows the difference between overt and covert orders of covert white supremacy. So yes, the KKK and neo-Nazis are definitely a part of white supremacy, but white supremacy as a system is so much more. It is the system in the United States that we were built on that was very, very open up until the end of segregation. And it's the one that we continue to participate in, consciously or unconsciously. If one accepts that America was built on a foundation of white supremacy, it should come as no surprise, given our class and racial history, that Unitarian Universalism has been built on the same foundation. My colleague, Mark D. Morrison-Reed, has spent much of his career documenting how, from the earliest years of our history, our denomination has systematically excluded people of color and solidified power for white people within our walls. Many people within our movement supported both slavery and segregation, and even those opposed often had racist reasons for opposing the institutions, 
perhaps epitomized by the famous Unitarian minister, Theodore Parker. You know, the one who gave Martin Luther King the phrase, the arc of the universe is long. When he said that it was the white person's duty to liberate the slaves since they're basically too stupid to do it themselves. In addition, black folks who attempted to become ministers were discouraged, sometimes violently, and often through campaigns of misinformation. One interracial couple had gossip and misinformation spread through the national newspaper, basically the equivalent of UU World at the time, as the husband, a black man, attempted to become a Unitarian minister. Another had a denominational official sabotage efforts to receive funding to plant a new church because he wasn't ministering to the right sorts of people. Yet, despite all this evidence, UUs don't like to re be reminded that this is still a pervasive problem within our movement. Every generation wants to believe that racism and white supremacy were issues of the previous generation that have been eradicated. In the late 1960s, a controversy over black empowerment nearly tore us apart. And we're still paying the price. This latest controversy in the UUA over hiring comes at a time when women, as well as gay and lesbian people, are very well represented within both the ranks of ministers and UUA staff. In fact, women outnumber men in the ministry right now, and they are well represented in the UUA staff. Yet people of color remain a small minority, despite the presence of a good number of well-qualified applicants. It doesn't have to be this way. Beacon Press, the publishing arm of the UUA, has made great strides towards welcoming people of color. And many of our congregations are now amazing multicultural places of worship. If we get caught up in semantic debates, arguing about whether the term white supremacy should be used or not, even though it is a word being used correctly, in a way consistent with how sociologists use it, we will be distracted yet again, and we won't be able to make the necessary changes. And it wouldn't be the first time words have distracted us. Arguments over empowerment language in the 1960s put racial justice on the back burner until nearly the mid-80s. Some with our, in our movement even argued against talk of privilege. Ironically, in the current controversy, privilege is the sanitized word that people prefer, even though it's not the same as white supremacy. If the term white supremacy makes you uncomfortable, lean into that discomfort and try to figure out why you feel this way. Nobody thinks you're a white supremacist. Just as one need not be a misogynist to participate in the system of patriarchy, one doesn't have to be a white supremacist to participate in the system of white supremacy. What we're seeing right now is the same old refrain of, but I'm not racist or sexist or homophobic or transphobic. And while that may be, it doesn't change the fact 
that our system is built around these toxic values. Make no mistake, this is why systems, even toxic ones, are so pervasive. They aren't eradicated by individual virtue, but by a deep change in habits. We must keep talking about white supremacy in our country, in our congregations, and in ourselves. It isn't going to go away just because I make a black friend or I donate to the NAACP. I close with a challenge to learn more and keep the conversation going. I've included a number of resources on the other side of that insert in your order of service. And I encourage you to find out about the ways that white supremacy perpetuates itself in our systems. We have an opportunity in this moment to build a new way to show other religious movements a way forward on these issues, movements that haven't even begun to tackle these issues yet. In fact, I would argue our faith, our deepest religious values, call us to do so. We have an opportunity to respond differently than we have in the past to racial controversies. May we take full advantage of the opportunity before us and may we together build a new way that opens the door for real welcome in our religious communities and in our movement. May it be so.